The views and opinions expressed on the Poor Ass Podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of BME Recovery Content Productions. Any content provided by our guests are of their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. And on that note, enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. I have a new website. Go to www.poraspodcast.com for episodes. That's www.poraspodcast.com. So if you hear vcomedy.com, that is the old website. Go to www.poraspodcast.com for episodes and enjoy the show thanks for listening thanks for supporting bye welcome to poor ass podcast the show that talks about tough shit on a budget with your host veronica porus Welcome, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Porass Podcast, the podcast where we talk about living sustainably while on a budget. Today's guest is Mario Montes. He is a retired butcher turned comedian and also in recovery. Welcome, Mario, to the podcast. Well, hello. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so How we're going to... I'm, I'm good. I'm good. So we are okay. going to talk about a second chance on a yes. budget. So Mario and oh, I... Yes. Yeah. So we're going to get into it. And then how, how this has affected your personal budgets and not just financial. We're, ta- we're also talking about emotional budgets, financial budgets, spiritual budgets, all the budgets. Yes. So... How I met Mario uh, was in San Francisco doing a show at Este Noche, uh, produced and hosted by a local comedian, Marga Gomez. And we were on the same, yeah, we were on the same lineup. We were on the same, same lineup. This was my first time meeting Mario and we just started like chatting and chatting. I don't even know how we got on this. I was definitely already in recovery. I think we were just recovery automatically like came up or or something where we started talking about recovery and so it was just like a really good conversation we've been facebook friends ever ever since and i knew mario i knew mario when he was single and and so we've known each other for like a long time so i have seen him single dating because i i follow him on facebook i see i see his posts and just like seeing his recovery story from the early years to sobriety, and now we're almost going on like 11 years or uh, almost 11 years in recovery. And each yeah. year, each year he posts on his birthday of everything that he's learned. And I just really wanted to reach out to him. When I started doing this podcast, I knew I had Mario on mind to bring him on the podcast 
to talk about like, you know, the highs and lows of recovery. And even during a pandemic, like practice these principles in all our affairs. And that includes a pandemic. And I'm going to give it to Mario so he could tell his recovery a story. So Mario, uh, ha- like take me to the part, like how did your drinking affect your comedy? Okay. Um, hello. Well, I, uh, I had a 25 year uh, drinking career basically. Uh, which all ended on um, my start day was the day I started my program, which was in 2010, November 8th. So I had started comedy. I did my first open mic in 2008, the summer of 2008. And how drinking affected my comedy is right out the gate. I know it was the summer of 2008. I know I had this yellow Hawaiian shirt on. But that's pretty much all I remember. I I couldn't give you the date. I want to say maybe June, right? And that was my first open mic that I did. And uh, I was pretty funny, actually. And people had asked me how long I'd been doing comedy. And I said, well, this is my first open mic. And that started my comedic journey. And just like everybody else, open mics. And then I was lucky enough to get on showcases. Um, And I kept moving forward with that. but I also uh, had a, uh, I like to drink a lot, you know, like who doesn't, right? And it did affect my comedy where I knew that starting, uh, uh, going into a show or whatever, do not have any cocktails. Because one time I got drunk before a set and I just bombed, like you would not believe Bob. It was the worst bombing that I'd ever witnessed. It was, it was embarrassing. And, and it didn't stop me from drinking. It just stopped me from drinking before I performed. I was on a, um, it was like a Tuesday or Wednesday night showcase at Tommy T's in Pleasanton, which was my home club where I started. And I had uh, people from work. I worked for Safeway and I had coworkers, I had friends, I had family and um, my mother and my sister and my brother and everybody had showed up to come see me. And normally I really didn't drink. Uh, I might have a cocktail prior to the set, but what threw me off was everybody sat in front. Everybody in my family sat in front and I got really nervous before my set. And so I started drinking. Um, it was like a long Island. I think it was. And I just got so nervous. Bye bye. I just got so nervous. I, um, uh, I just, I forgot my set. I went up there and I had all these people who came to see me and I just bombed spectacularly. And I was so embarrassed. I went home and cried, you know, and then I had to like a face everybody the next day. And I apologized, you know, I was just completely embarrassed. And I vowed, okay, I've never drinking before. I said, well, I did. And at that club, I started getting weekend work and stuff and, you know, doing all my old stuff. But, um, I, I cruised to about uh, 2009 and then I couldn't perform anymore because I had gotten a promotion at the grocery store. I was now a salaried uh, assistant manager. So that cut into like my nights. So I tried to catch stuff uh, periodically, but um, I, I just, you know, didn't have the time to devote to it. And uh, the, the the thing was, is I had all these amazing things happening to me. I, I was, you know, I was doing showcases. I was making good money. And then I screwed up my whole life with the drinking. It all caught up with me. And I just, 
Next thing you know, I was, it just happens like that, man. You lose everything. And it was no big traumatic um, episode or brush with the law or anything, but I was, I just was ignoring all the red flags. And um, it was by March of uh, 2010, I was unemployed. And by October of 2010, I was homeless on the street, drank up all my money, you know, didn't pay the rent and, you know, lost my license. I got a DUI and, you know, it was just everything that could happen to a drunk. You know, I, I finally got to do it basically. And, uh, comedy was, it was a distant memory. It was, uh, one of the saddest chapters, one of the saddest summers of my life was the summer of 2010 because, uh, I'd seen a lot of the guys that I, uh, started out with. They were, uh, they were doing great and they still are, you know, but um, I would uh, see their names like in the pink section of the Chronicle, you know, um, appearing a certain place, a little blurb, you know, and, and I'd wish them well, but it would also kill me too, because I realized that the, that the, the, that ship had sailed in my, in my head, you know, and um, I was, con- I was like, uh, not content, but I was like, okay, I was going to settle for being a drunk. You know, I just wasn't right in the head. That that 2010 was like the worst year of my life, and um, it was uh, I had tried to kill myself, and that didn't work out. So I figured I'll just kill myself uh, with the booze, and uh, that's how I drank up like my savings. You know, Um, started out drinking the good stuff and ended up drinking the plastic bottle that Taka vodka. You ever seen that? You know, that was my drink of choice. I have not. Oh my god. Well, you have to go on the very bottom shelf and like a fifth costs like seven bucks. You know, it's what the wine owners drink or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's what I became, which was, which was, which was, uh, it was kind of funny in a sense, because the thing is in my regular, you know, life prior in my, my functioning days, the good old days for many, many years, I was a, uh, you know, I, I spent 25 years cutting meat and five years in the in the grocery business trying to, you know, be a manager, this and that. But in my whole uh, working career, I was kind of full of myself. I was basically full of shit, really. But I also was very judgmental. I um, I was uh, angry. All, all the bad things that you can be, you know, I was I was one of those people. And um, and I was very judgmental against homeless men. I hated homeless men. And um the funny thing is, is October of 2010, I got to be what I hated, you know, and, uh, and it showed me God had a sense of humor, but, uh, um, that's what I was. I, I just ruined my life. Nobody wanted to be around me. Um, my family turned their back on me as they should, you know, and, um, I didn't want anybody to see me like reaching out for help or whatever. The only thing that, uh, that I was, doing that summer is I was attending this church that was around the corner from me and it was a Baptist church. And when I thought it was funny, you know, um, how I, uh, how I ended up there. Um, I had already lost my job and everything. And I used to day drink at the, there's a couple watering holes here in Pleasanton where I lived. I was renting a room basically from someone. And, um, uh, I got pulled into this church in the afternoon. It was like a Wednesday um, 
and they have a, you know, Baptist church. They always have like a service on Wednesday, you know. The thing is, I don't go to church. I, I, I didn't believe in God and none of that, you know. I was, I was just, you know, that was just me. Everybody who knew me, that's just Mario. That's just the way he is. These guys pulled me in. Hey, you want to come? Uh, he literally said, you want to come get saved, right? And <clears throat> I just, I didn't want to be, you know, rude to him because these are, you know, grown men. They're not by- bothering anybody. They're just standing out in the church and they, they like wave to people before the service, you know, and uh, very nice older folks. And he had asked me if I want to come to get saved. And I thought it was funny. And I flashed to that movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? You know? And I, to me, it was kind of a joke. And and so they brought me in the church. And there's all these people. They're all like older, middle-aged, or maybe in their 40s. But they're, they're nice church people. And and, and he's introduced. This is Mario. He's going to join us today. And the thing was, I know I smelled like booze, you know? And uh, and I thought, well, this is funny. I just watched the I watched the show, right? And it was a young pastor. He was the assistant pastor, and he does this whole thing, and everything was cool, you know. And I figured I got an hour to kill, no biggie. And um, and then he wanted to uh, have everybody speak, and um, about witnessing God, you know. And everybody got to speak. They're going like down the pews, you know. And I'm sitting there drunk, and the guy next to me, he tells me, uh, um, you don't have to say anything, <laughs> you know? <laughs> that was like, I don't want to say anything. But he's already, you know, he's got his eye on me, really. So, you know, so they, when it came my turn to speak, I, I all of a sudden I thought I wanted to share something. And I talked about this showcase that I had been a part the night before and uh, how I really felt for the, the guy whose showcase it was, he was closing it out. Um this guy, Leroy Stanfield, he's, you know, he had, he packed the place for an open micer. He had like 170 people there. And I was really, you know, it's like, I thought that was very fortunate, you know, I was happy for him. And I shared that and everybody was like, Oh, that's nice. You know? And, um, and then I left the church, you know, I mean, I I walked home afterwards and uh, I just thought it was kind of funny, but it was weird, you know? And, and, and it's like, uh, an old Baptist church. I was raised a Catholic. It's like Baptist, you know, they're, they're pretty nice, though. And so I don't remember, but I guess I filled out some card before I left, you know. And uh, they called me like a couple months later, this young pastor. He wanted to know how I was doing and this and that. And, you know, it's like coming into, I don't know, August. And uh, I'm just existing, you know. So uh, he wanted to have coffee. Long story short, he had asked me, you know, um, how are you? And I explained to him. What happened? I lost my job. I lost my truck and this and that. And and then I, I told him, I think I might have a drinking problem, you know, and I'd never, ever uh, mentioned that to anybody. But he was such a nice guy. He uh, introduced me to this old dude. He goes, I don't know anything about alcoholism, but I know somebody here. It's an old guy named Norm. And that guy's like about 80 years old from Alamo, California. Um and uh, I talked with Norm, great guy, you know. So I cruised on this church to about October, and then I just stopped attending, you know, and uh, went into a very dark uh, chapter of my life. I went to a very dark place, you know. Um, I was just on the street, the mean streets of Pleasanton, but I was on the streets nonetheless. And um, I uh, 
was ready to, to just give up. I was just, you know, when is it going to happen? And, um, it was on November seventh. Uh, I went to uh, my mother's house to uh, under the guise to get some clothes that I had there, but really I was going to ask her for some money. And um, she had told me uh, there was a guy looking for me. Um, she gave he showed up at her work, and he gave me she gave me the phone number that he left, and it was this old guy Norm, and. Um, he said that uh, he wants to take you to a place where you can get well with your drinking. And uh, I said, okay, I'll give him a call. And then like my mother, for the first time, she like was very firm. And uh, she said, if you don't do this, I don't ever want to see you again, you know? And uh, it was kind of an ultimatum, but I, you know, she told me I'd broken her heart and all this. And, you know, I felt like shit, you know, it just, you broke your mama's heart. You know, I'm thinking, what kind of animal am I? But um, I did give him a call, and it was November 7th, it was a Sunday, and uh, he took me down to a place in Oakland where I started my program. Um, Ten months, a place called City Team Ministries, and that was, that's where my life started, you know. Um, I didn't have the experience as a comedian um, that I've had sober. I didn't have that as a drinker because I didn't do it as long. You know what I mean? And I was fortunate to have uh, gotten the stage time and uh, stuff that I did at the club there, like at Tommy T's, because it's, you know, it's just there. And I, and, I, and I did well there and impressed enough people to where they let me host some shows on the weekend. But I wasn't, you know, it, it, it wasn't an experience for me because – Maybe I didn't drink before the sets, but I definitely drank afterwards. And plus, you know, then I go to work or whatever, you know, drink after work. So um, even though I started in 2008, I uh, consider my start date um, as a comedian, um, August 8th, 2011. It was a Monday night, open mic at Tommy T's. Comedian Joe Corzo was the host. And they do it as a competition, or they used to, you know, Um they give everybody $5, but then you get half the door if you win. That was the thing. But uh, I, I was in the top five, but it didn't matter to me. I didn't care about that. I was happy to be back. And that's when I, I, I my comedy, I'm back doing, you know, what I wanted to do. And um, I was back in the world. I was working. I was uh, sober, you know. Um, I had a whole uh, 10 months. Matter of fact, I got my job. Uh, when I joined the workforce in July of uh, 2011. My program didn't end till uh, September 20, September 24th, 2011. And um, so I was, you know, still kind of in the program as far as, you know, responsibilities and, you know, day-to-day stuff, but I was allowed to go work. And um, uh, I used to, uh, uh, and then get shows, you know, a lot of things happened those first four months back that I attribute to setting me on the course that, you know, that, that I'm still on, um, be it, uh, uh, in the comedy world or, or as a performer or dealing with the, the things that, uh, we get exposed to as comedians, you know, cause we work in bars, we work in clubs, you know, everybody parties, but we don't, you know, yeah. and I learned to, uh, set those healthy boundaries. Um, because, I still lived at city team for about um, almost a year. Uh, I want to say six months 
after my program, I said, they let you live there. And, uh, but I would go do my shows, but they'd come back to my little safe cave at, you know, there, there in old Oakland. Um, but, uh, I was, I was, it was like living in different worlds, you know? And I think that kind of really set me straight on, uh, uh, how I'm going to deal with real life and everything that happens with it. Because the thing of it is, um, the program itself, you uh, it, it, you do two things um, as far as your, your, what you're studying. You're studying the AA book and you're studying the Bible, or I call them the big book and the bigger book. But those are the classes that you have. And there's other things that are related to it as you progress in your, your program. But... Um, they work it as a 12 step program and, uh, and then you're learning, uh, uh, about the Bible. Um, what, uh, you know, you learn about JC himself, you know, and you get to put it to work at the program itself. Um, because we have there at city team ministries, uh, it's got a soup kitchen, your traditional soup kitchen, and it's got a men's shelter. Now, now this building is like about, I don't know, hundred and something years old. And it's right next to the Oakland police department and the North County jail and the courthouse. And further down the street was the old coroner. They had the coroner there before they moved. And it's, it's just one of those places that's always served the people who needed a meal or needed to quit drinking. It, it used to be called other things. I think it was called Pinnell ministries and this old building, this old rat infested building um, has been doing that for years. And, you know, we're attached to the bail bonds on one side and a bar on the corner. But for a kid from Pleasanton, that was my education there. You know, I, I was, you know, all messed up, but now here I am, this place opened its doors for me. They let me in the program. And at first it was just nice to have a bed to sleep on. And then it was like, you know, they put you to work in a kitchen. Well, I know how to work. I worked my whole life, but it was the other things that were new to me, you know, and uh, that, again, I, I get back to uh, God having a sense of humor. So this old guy that used to hate homeless people became a homeless person. Now he serves homeless men, you know. But that was my program, was doing all that, but um, finding out who I was, and even to some extent, or pretty much the entire extent, finding out who is God. And I see God. I, I see God in these old winos and, and drug addicts that I would see every day. You know, I'm 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 feeding them. And and as I progressed in my program, I was running the homeless shelter there, the men's shelter, the rescue shelter. That's what they call it. Um, I was like, I was now knowing their names. You know, I I, I refer to them as Oakland's invisible people because nobody ever looks at them. You know, you step over them, you walk around them, but now. I knew their names and they knew mine and I love these guys. And they were the ones who really taught me about God, if you will, you know, um, cause that's how I learned about opening my heart, you know, to, to love these guys, to, to love every, everybody deserves, you know, like the golden rule, treat people how you want to be treated. That's what we should do. And that's, to me, that when I think of God, I don't think of a big giant with 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 a beard or anything. You know, I just think about uh, loving those who really don't have anything. You know, opening your heart to 
the folks that, that you know, that nobody likes or loves. You know what I mean? Because I was that person. I know what it's like to be the invisible person. I re- always remember um, that October of 2010 where I'd spend my entire day riding the BART train. Everybody gets mad when they see people asleep on the BART train. Guy taking up three seats. He's, you know, got all his stuff. He's all dirty and everything. He ain't got nowhere to go. It's cold outside. And that was me. I used to back and forth, you know, until nighttime came and you had to get off. Um, anyway, that was uh, when I think of uh, um, recovery, when I think of God, when I think of getting sober, I always think of that lowest, uh, not that I've been, but others have as well, you know. So I told you I have a tendency to ramble. But uh, I, uh, I, that was a hell of an education for somebody like me. And, um, and I'm better for it. You know, when, when, I was, uh, when I was working at my job and stuff, I still uh, stayed part of the program. So on my days off, even though I lived there, on my days off, I would facilitate classes. You know, I was really good with the anger management class. I loved doing that one with the guys. And I would um, kind of, you know, uh, it helped me. You know, that was one of the things um, in my program is uh, helping guys as when I was like, you know, doing the classes, one of the things they have you do is you read uh, stuff from the, um, the AA book. You, you read, we have these little circle sessions broken into groups and you uh, read, highlight, underline um, certain, you know, uh, chapters that we are studying. And as I would read to the new guys, um, I didn't realize how, that was, you know, helping me. I wasn't just like reading to guys. And some of these guys in the program, mind you, you know, they, they, they don't know how to read, you know. So, you know, I, I, I tell them what words mean or whatever. And um, I didn't realize that was helping me. It wasn't just like I was reading to people. It was making me, you know, stronger, if you will. Yeah, um, it's the service it, part of recovery. <laughs> it, uh, Yeah, exactly. But... When we uh, when we touched on earlier before we started this, uh, the whole thing wouldn't. I mean, the thing is, you go to the city team. There's no guarantees in any rehab, you know. But you know, they'll they'll graduate the program, and and and, and that doesn't mean anything, though. You know, it, did you did your heart change? You can memorize all the chapters in the Bible and the big book, you know. But if you don't have it in your heart, what's the point of you know? going through this program. That's, that's how I felt about it. You know, I just didn't realize that my heart was changing. This is, you know, I realized this afterwards, but the defining moment uh, where I got my second chance, where everything turned on this, this was, this was that moment in, in my history where I knew that um, uh, this is where it starts is uh, when I got to my fourth step and I did the resentment list. And um, the first name that I wrote uh, was my sister's name, my sister Missy. And I hated her. And then, you know, what did she do? And I wrote just all kinds of paragraphs of why I was mad at her. And what stopped me in my tracks was the what part did you play in this? 
And what was my role in this relationship that I had so much anger towards my sister, my kid sister by me? It's three of us. It's me, my brother Jesus, and my sister Missy. And what it was is I was really mad at her because she didn't want me around. She, you know, was so angry at me at what I'd done to my life. And uh, she never wanted to help me. I'd asked her for help, you know. I stole from her. Um, I was, you know, I treated her like shit. And, and so, you know, I deserved all this hostility she had against me, but it wasn't hostility. I would later learn is, is as much as I broke her heart. She saw her big, big brother ruin his life and it broke her heart. So, but being selfish and self-centered, you know, I was angry at her. And, uh, but what part did I play in this? And I sat on that one for a minute and, um, I realized, uh, that this, this, this fourth step, this is for me. As I used to say, this, this is between me and God. And I thought about it. Okay, what, why, why do I hate her? And I just remember the first thing that came to mind was uh, why I felt betrayed by her. I had a flashback to uh, 2009. I was hanging out with a friend of mine uh, who happened to be an old friend of hers. Now we were uh, we were colleagues, mind you, and he had told me we were sitting in his hot tub. He had a house out in Laser, and it was one evening. We were out there drinking and doing things, and and we were talking about uh, family. And he's like, you know, broken family's overrated, man. And, and I, when I think back about it, he was kind of like me. He was like, yeah, you, you might have your shit together on paper, but you know, you a lot of people don't want you around, you know. And he was kind of running down family, and then. And I was like, just yeah, yeah, I, I feel you. Then he said, you know, it's like what your sister said about you. And I'm like, what did she say? And he said, well, she knows me and you. We like to go hang out and, you know, go go party and all this shit. And she told me, she says, um, be careful hanging around my brother Mario. Um, he uses people, you know. And when he told me that, I was sitting there and I, I just act like, ah, oh, no big deal. But inside, I'm thinking, how the fuck could you say that? You know, how could you like say that to my friend? And then basically, I was also saying, how could you tell people my secret? You know, I felt mm. like betrayed and revealed. It's like Missy could see what a piece of shit I am. I wasn't ready to have that conversation with, my, with myself, but that's what I felt. Missy was warning off somebody. My brother just uses people, so be careful. Don't, don't, you know. And the fact that it's like, that's what she thinks of me? That bitch, right? And we flash forward to, you know, the uh, me doing the fourth step. And then I started thinking about how many times when I get drunk, because I'm the kind of guy, when I get drunk, I'm an I'm a asshole. I'm a mean drunk. And um, they said the, the tequila or whatever, you know, I just... It's just, you know, I, I've apologized too many times to people, especially my sister. Hey, I'm sorry for getting mad at you last night. You know, I'm sorry for cussing at you. I would like literally just give her some cash. You know, I'm sorry. Here, go buy yourself something nice or whatever, you know, just just horrendous, you know. And so as I as I thought about this and stuck on that first name on my fourth step, 
I realized that, you know, man, I really fucked off my life. And here I am. Um, I showed up at City Team with just the clothes on my back. So any clothes that I, you know, accrued or whatever, um, they were just donations. People donate. The whole operation subsists on private donations because they're a um, Christian organization. They can't take any money from the government. So I'm also wearing like used shoes, used, uh, you know, clothes. And, but I was cool with that. That shit didn't matter to me. I was just happy that, you know, feeling good at it. By the time I was at my four step, I had a little, you know, a couple months sobriety time. You know what I mean? I, your mind is different and you think clearer, your body feels better. And, uh, thinking about this, uh, with my sister, that was the other thing I wasn't prepared for showing up for all the emotions and memories and all that shit, you know? And, and I realized, yeah, she was right to say that about me. I have been full of shit my whole life, you know? And the thing is, I didn't want to go back to that guy. I know I'm still me, but I don't want to go. I don't want to be that person anymore. I'm tired of that shit, you know? And all that, uh, false pride, you know, give it a name, right? All the shit that I had been pulling, all the shit that I was, I didn't want to be that guy anymore. And I realized that, well, if I want to make a change, I'm going to have to write this shit down honestly, and I'm going to have to look at it. You know, it's going to be, it's like, once you write it down, it's there forever. And so what part did I play in this whole fiasco? And I started writing it out. And I started writing it out and writing everything that I'd pretty much done with her, how I broke her heart, everything. No wonder she treated me like a bum. I, 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 that's what I acted like. No wonder she treated me like an asshole. That's what I was to her. She was just giving me back to what I gave her. And the thing is, but she loves me because I'm her older brother. And yeah, there was, you know, you know, we had our good times too, of course, but you never really remember those when the bad times kind of like end the relationship and kind of focus on that. So the wounds were fresh. And plus, you know, she had a little two-year-old and her husband. She got life. She got to live. She don't have to worry about my ass. So no wonder she didn't want me around, you know. My brother's wife was that way, too, when I was uh, homeless. My brother had, you know, hey, can Mario come live in our garage? And she's like, no, we got, I don't want him around our kids. He's got to get help, you know. And, and they had like a little beef from what I found out because my brother wanted to help me. But his wife thought, no, we don't want him around. It's not healthy to have him around. Because, you know, he's drunk and all this shit. And the thing was, I didn't know they were having this conversation. And I was, my behavior out and ripping and running was affecting their relationship to some degree, you know. And um, that was like, I, I found this out like about a year later. And that's uh, one of those things, how we can affect people without even really realizing that we're doing it. And at that moment, it was a bad way, you know. My behavior was, they were so concerned about my behavior it was also causing them uh, a little disruption in their life. And I was nowhere around their house. You know what I mean? Mm. But when people love you, that's, that's the price of love sometimes, you know? Um, but with my sister, I wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And once I exhausted it, and I don't know how many weeks it was I spent on her name, but once I felt it was, okay, I can go on to the next name, I felt so damn free. It was so um, I wasn't intimidated by the next name or the name after that or the name after that and to write all my stuff and all the things that you have to write. 
I wasn't intimidated about um, honesty. You know, honesty used to scare the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. And that's when my program started. As soon as I got all that shit out with my sister and I realized, okay, you know, this is nothing to be proud of, but we can move forward. And I felt for the first time I felt free. I felt optimistic. I felt hopeful. You know, I thought yeah, I might have a, a shot at a life. And so that's where, that's where my program, that's where I launched everything I embraced, you know, and be it the, the chores there, my brothers, everything. It was, um, uh, I loved being like real honesty, honesty freed me at any given moment. They want like about maybe, you know, 20 guys in the program, maybe 25, you know? Um, but that isn't always the case because, you know, um, not everybody is court ordered. There's people that, you know, go there like myself that show up. But um, the thing is, at one point, it was around the summer. Uh, there was like maybe, I think there was like 11 of us. And we still have to do the work of about 20 guys, you know. Yeah. And um, because, you know, running a kitchen, uh, the, we have something called a food bank where they hand out food to people that line up two days a week, you know. Um, a lot of older folks from Chinatown come to get free vegetables and chicken. It's just work to do on top of our, our classes, you know, and our, and my day started at four 30 in the morning and it would end about nine 30, 10 o'clock. Then we could go upstairs. But, you know, I love that. It was, you know, you were right there. Like I said, down in, uh, Oakland, the old part of Oakland, this is a lot of, you know, about noise and stuff. I didn't have being a kid from the suburbs. So this whole new way of living was exciting for me, but yes, it was tiring. And at one point we only had about 10 or 11 guys in the program and a lot of guys started getting burnt out and they were pissed off and they said they were going to leave, you know, cause you're overworking us and all this. And I kind of snapped at him. We were in the classroom with our, our uh, instructors, wonderful man named Brad. And he was hearing everybody's gripes. And I was like, you know what? I don't give a fuck. You guys can all leave. I'm going to get my recovery. Fuck this. I'll run the whole goddamn thing. Fuck you guys. <laughs> and uh, they looked at me. <laughs> like, Where did this come from? And, and the, Brad, he started laughing. Yeah, that's right, Mario. Yeah, he's a butcher. He can run the kitchen and the cellar. And, you know, I said, I don't give a shit. Fucking leave. You know, I don't care. You know, I, I ain't going back to, uh, you know, what I was, and I sure as hell, you know, ain't going to end up like, like I was, you know, and, and then I just knew that I just felt that strongly, but, um, you know, everybody stayed. And then I told as a joke, I said, Brad, you know, just bring some guys in the program. We got to pad labor, you know, and, uh, and we had a good time with it and things got better, you know, it just is what it is. But I just knew that the problems that we had in this uh, program ain't shit compared to once we get out into the real world, you know what I mean? And uh, I was just happy to, you know, I called it daycare, uh, you know, grown up daycare. I'm just happy to be here at daycare. It was great, man. I love rehab. I tell people, fuck, it's great because all you have to deal with is your own shit. You don't have to worry about anything else. Just deal with your own shit, man, you know. But that's what that's what what's hard. That's what's hard, like dealing with your own shit, like looking at yourself. I, I, well, I, I didn't look at myself for many, many years, at least mm. 25 years, mm. you know, it was that moment that that moment of clarity or call it what you want, uh, 
spiritual awakening, divine intervention, just, or the party's over, you know? But the thing is, is I, I moved forward, completed the program. Uh, everybody was happy for me, but I was smart enough to realize that just because I complete this program, that don't mean shit because now, you know, life still has to, uh, you still got to go live life now, you know? Mm-hmm. And the, the thing with a program like City Team, as much as I love it and everything, um, some guys, uh, you know, you're around a lot of Jesus there, you know? And uh, some guys will feel, I don't know, I, I, I've seen it and I've even felt it myself. You might feel you're a little special or you're a little anointed. And that's a dangerous thing to have mm. because once you get out into the real world, you know, you can't say, well, you know, I, I've seen guys, they, 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 they're so full of Jesus. They just can't wait to, you know, spread the word, but that's not what we're supposed to do. We're just supposed to unfuck ourselves and then, you know, go, go let the actions speak. Don't, don't go out there and be a preacher, you know, none of that. Mm-hmm. That's not what we were meant to do. You know, we weren't doing it before. So, you know, we're not going to do it now. But the thing is, when I got out and uh, be it at work or even with shows, you know, it's like day to day, wherever you see them on the bar trend, your customers, your coworkers, your fellow comics, whatever, mm-hmm. your cousins, I'm not better than them because they didn't fuck up their life like I did. You know, so, yeah, I got to go to a really cool place to learn some new ways of living and thinking and feeling. But the reason I got there was I turned my entire life into a fucked up soup sandwich, if you will. And, you know, don't forget, you know, that, you know, for me, mind you, I would tell myself, don't forget what, what you can become when, you know, you go the wrong way. I always use like the, um, I guess analogy or whatever. I use it. That um, there was a movie called Alien Nation. Did you ever see that movie? I remember and that. I love that. I love that series. Yeah. Okay. Well, you remember they had in the in the movie that launched it was uh, it had James Caan and Mandy Pantakin. Oh, and that part I don't remember because I it was I was kind of young okay. when it came. Yeah. Not young, young, but it like went to a series. I didn't know it was a movie. There was a movie? Yeah. Yeah, it was a cool movie. I just anyway, remember the series. Was, okay. Okay, go on. The series was good. Yeah. But in the movie, they, they, they showed that these guys, they crash land on Earth and all stuff, and they simulated into our world. And um, there was uh, this one very rich alien who was kind of like uh, running around with a rich crowd. He was importing, um, or he was making, they had their... their it was this blue liquid that they drank and it was kind of <gasps> like their cocaine. Yeah. You know? I remember that. Yeah. And one of the lines in the movie was, uh, Mandy's, uh, line to James Khan is, um, we can't let people see, like if you took too much of that shit, you turn into this crazy looking monster, just a tweaked out alien monster. And your, your head would even get bigger than what it already is. And he says, we can't let people see what we can become because it'll scare everybody, <gasps> you know? Mm. And, and that's how I felt in my recovery is as good as I uh, 
felt, looked, uh, the, the, the forward progress that I was making, I, I can't go back to what I was. I can't have uh, a, a one drink because I become this incredible monster. I'll know it and then everybody will see. You know, and I don't want to go back to that because everybody saw what a monster I was. And I was a monster, you know. Um, but that was as I entered the world and I never looked down on anybody. Take me to the part where, you know, your, 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 sis, your sister on your resentment list was a pretty significant person and your recovery and like you've mentioned before yeah it's like living life like life on life's terms so like the day-to-day living is that's where it gets most challenging so something happened in your family where and i do follow you on facebook where your recovery really needed to kick in and what was that incident? And how did you use your recovery tools to get you through that uh, family incident? Okay. Well, it was, uh, um, I had two uh, incidents, actually. The first one we talked about, I had uh, um, broken up with my girl. Well, she broke up with me. Um, it was my first uh, relationship sober. Mm. And uh, so... Uh, my, my, who's now my wife, her name is Jerry. We started dating, uh, in 2014 and, um, we had, um, connected on Facebook, um, in 2013. Um, I hadn't seen her prior to that for 30 years. We graduated high school in 1983. We were, uh, acquaintances in high school, but, um, we had a mutual friend and, uh, on, uh, June, uh, was it June 6th of 2013? I sent her a friend request and, uh, we pretty much talked to each other online or on the phone for a year before we saw each other in person. And um, then we, we started dating exclusively and, uh, you know, a couple, we're, we're, we're grownups, you know, um, and we have our experiences that we have, you know, mm-hmm. the thing with her, uh, she, uh, um, I don't know, she just, never been treated you know nice or whatever she 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 just didn't know where I was coming from who is this guy you know but uh (laughs) she had a lot of feelings for me and so she kind of freaked out after about a month or so and she said she was going to give her uh ex a uh another chance Mm. and um I was like you know I I was heartbroken but I was devastated you know Uh, of course my heart was broken I'm like you know it was, it was, it was really fucked up. It was a horrible afternoon, right? Mm. I had just left her house in Dublin and I'm back at my place in Oakland. And then I get this text and she was apologizing and this and that. And you know what it was is, I don't know. She, she told me that she went over his house that night and as soon as she got there, she knew she was making a huge mistake. And it took us a couple of days to uh, talk on the phone because I called her, you know, left a message, nothing. And, I had gotten off work. It was like the Thursday after we had broken up and we, uh, she was pissed at me because 
I talked about it on Facebook. I talked about everything on Facebook. And uh, she felt embarrassed. And she was, she was like, I could not believe you were talking about it. I said, well, I couldn't believe you left me, you know. And we kind of went back and forth. Nothing, you know, vile or anything, you know. But I was kind of like, you know, wait a minute, wait a minute. You broke my heart here, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so, you know, I was like, um, but I was honest with it. I said, but, you know, I, I really... I really like you. And I understand. I understand why you uh, walked out of this relationship because it wasn't really like anything that you'd been accustomed to. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I wasn't about sex on the first date. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, it's just, I was finding my way. And the reason is I didn't want to go back to what I was. So I was trying to take things extra, extra slow, so to speak. And, um, it was, uh, the thing was she had a lot of feelings for me, but she didn't really realize that till she went over dude's house, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, but you know, this is, I mean, I never held that against her, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the old me might've, but it's like, nah, man, like, this is life. This is, this is part of it, you know? Uh, ups and downs and, and 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 the thing is nothing could be as bad as that summer of 2010 you know <laughs> so uh we decided decided you know that's my whole life veronica is nothing can be as bad as that that 2010 where it all where i circled the drain and damn near went through um so we decided to give it another go and we move forward, you know, um, that was, uh, 2014 and, um, I moved in with her, uh, April of 2015. I left my beloved Oakland and, uh, moved in with her and we just, you know, she, she kind of, she, you know, by then, you know, it was the, I love yous and everything, but it, you, you, you feel it, you know, mm-hmm. and we spent so much time together. You know, I go to work and, uh, uh, I come home and, and we didn't even have like, uh, well, we had a TV, we had a big screen, but it wasn't even hooked up. We didn't, we didn't put the, get a cable box or anything. We were living in this little cottage um, on her sister's property. And um, every night we just, we just talked for like about almost a year, you know, and we just went and did things. And, you know, it wasn't, it was just really this kind of like building what is, I refer to as us now, you know, we're, She's like my right arm. She's part of me Mm -hmm. and vice versa. But we decided to, uh, you know, let's get married. I want to marry you. You know, she'd never been married. I'd never been married. She doesn't have any kids. I don't have any kids. It's the two of us, you know, and um, she's retired. She was a police officer and for like 15 years. And then she got in a horrible accident. It was a chemical fire Mm -hmm. and almost cost her her life. And there were so many things that, that uh, endeared each other to us, to each other. Because when I was going through the worst times in my life in that 2010, she was suffering the after effects of her accident. And she was down to like 80 pounds and lost all her hair. She almost lost her nose, you know? Oh, wow. And she was fucked up. But um, while she was going through all this, I was going through my thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, here we are. We found each other. So we started... Uh, you know, we just, we got married and we just, you know, everything, every year was better than the last, especially for me, you know, little things, 
you know, be it comedy, be it uh, work, be it, you know, um, my, I, I finally got dental work in uh, 2019, you know, just every, everything has progressed for me. But what happened was in 2016, my sister, uh, my kid sister, she got cancer and it was a colon cancer. We didn't know how she got it. It just happened because it doesn't run in our family. You know, she was like the first person that I really, really knew that got cancer. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we went through the usual hoops that you go through. You know, we're going to have surgery and this is going to fix you. Well, the surgery didn't fix you. And we're going to have radiation. And so she went through all the radiation. It didn't fix it. We're going to have chemo, you know. And that, that's where hit her and Jerry Bond, she, she was going to the hospital by where I worked. Everything was happening in Walnut Creek. She was going to the hospital there, and I worked in Walnut Creek. So Jerry uh, would go to her with her chemo appointments there. Mm-hmm. And um, that's how they, they became close, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, she realized this, this isn't, they found another, like, um, nodule or whatever on her lung. Mm-hmm. And she had a good, uh, she has a good friend who turned her on to RSO, you know, the Rick Stevens oil, the cannabis, cannabis uh, oil. Mm-hmm. So she went on a 30 day cycle with that, but she didn't say anything to her cancer docs. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, they were kind of writing her off and it was pretty scary. But this thing with the 35 days with the cannabis oil, all of a sudden they couldn't find that cancer that was on her lung. It really took care of it. Mm. and she felt like she got a new lease on life and you know we moved forward with that and it was it was great and the thing was I I got to see my sister start to thrive Mm. you know she she changed because of this thing with uh you know putting this cancer behind her and so um Jerry and I were going to get married um we figured on uh, June um of 2017 and initially we were going to go to uh, city hall in San Francisco, just us and our moms. Um, but how are we going to get two little old ladies uh, to city hall? Cause there's, you know, there's really no parking and they're not yeah. really good with the walking, you know? Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we had this, you know, I said, well, we could leave them at home, you know, mm-hmm. it'd just be me and you. It's like, no, they, they'd shit if we did that, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, we ended up, uh, um, my sister's like, you know, hey, have it here. She lived with my mother. had a big house in Livermore. Mm-hmm. And so what we did is we had a backyard wedding. They have big backyards. And we, we had about 80 people, 40 and 40, 40 of her folks, 40 of mine. And it was a, uh, and, and we made it like, don't get dressed up. Just wear casual stuff because it's you know June and it was really hot that uh, that week, um, and everybody bring like a dish. I'll supply uh, beef and chicken and uh, beverages, beers, sodas, waters, all that would be supplied. But bring like a side dish, and that's what everybody did. They brought desserts, they brought side dish. We had like this huge spread plus all this tri-tip and chicken that I had uh, grilled. I had like five grills out there <laughs> and we, we, my brother, he bought all the beer and all the sodas. Everybody kind of pitched in and my sister, like she put it all together. She decorated it and she was just, you know, we got a couple tents. We had tables and chairs. We had to fit 80 people 
And the the yard is they live out in Livermore or lived out in Livermore. And it's like it, it borderlines like a cow pasture. So it's a pretty spread out backyard, but it's still mm-hmm. to have 80 people. And um, it was a we call it our perfect day. Mm-hmm. Um, it, we never had a perfect day in our lives. And my sister played a big part in that. So um, and there was people telling us this is the best wedding I've ever been to. You know, everybody was just, you know, <laughs> the guy who married us, he was a pastor who was a friend of mine from City Team. His name is Dave, and uh, he set the tone. He's a great guy, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, he made everybody feel comfortable. Uh, there was a reprieve on the weather, so it was only, like, 85 as opposed to, like, a 98 to 110 as it had it been, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I even had some of my uh, friends from comedy there, you know, and my sister, you know, she was such a great host. and It was just one of those great days, and mm-hmm. boom, we, we moved forward, and, and – uh, actually, we had two perfect days because that uh, September of 2018, my sister played a part in. She um, hooked Jerry and I up with some tickets to a, a, a suite at the um, SAP Center to see the Foo Fighters, which is our favorite band. Oh. And uh, she joined us, of course. Yeah, we sat in a suite. Well, that's pretty civilized. You sit up there in, a, in one of those luxury boxes mm-hmm. and we were right above the stage to the left. Right there were the backup singers and Pat Smear, you know, so we're like looking right at them. And uh, it was, we call it our second perfect day. <laughs> and uh, that was uh, September of 2018. So um, I had, uh, as we went into 19, uh, that was going to be my year, especially as a comedian, because mm-hmm. I, I walked away from the meat business in 2018, the grocery business. And I, I thought, you know, I can do this. And I had stuff booked up. I had stuff booked up, man. It's going to be great. And and in 2020, I'm going to own. We all know how that ended. <laughs> but what happened was um, in uh, the beginning, um, it was around, I think I want to say March, uh, her cancer had come back. She started having a problem with a, a lump in her shoulder by her neck. Mm. And it was giving the problem. She couldn't raise her arm and stuff. So, um, uh, Jerry and I, we, uh, she started, um, there was a new cancer center that, uh, she had Kaiser insurance. They opened here in Dublin. It's a huge facility, but it's just for cancer patients. And so that was her new place to go. So we went there and we found out that, uh, the cancer had come back. So we're going to have to, you know, do the do again. And, uh, so that's what we did. We take her to her appointments, um, that summer and we even uh, uh we got the rso going again by that summer and the thing was uh she had um why is this back you know mm. and he was she was really adamant on trying to find out if it ran in the family so she went on one of those ancestry uh websites where you submit your dna you know mm-hmm. yeah. and um she had heard my father my father is from the old country uh, my father might have some children from other, uh, uh, relationships or whatever. There might be, she might have some, uh, some half brothers and sisters running around out there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what, what happened was, uh, there was, and, uh, she located, uh, uh, two, two, um, two different brothers they were, that my father had from, and they were about, uh, they're younger than me, but older than her or her age. 
and wonderful guys, my, my, my new brothers, um, Fidel and uh, Tony, and uh, live in different parts of the country. One lives up north and the other one lives out of state. And um, we also found that I had a first cousin uh, who was given up for adoption. His name is Chris. And uh, I love him. Uh, Missy loves him, especially. She got to meet him. She's like, you got to meet Cousin Chris. And uh, he's a, also a, uh, um, an artist. He's a, a singer, rapper, uh, accomplished one with, with uh, recorded music and this, that, and the other. He's a little younger than me. And it uh, turns out he's in recovery for 10 years. But he also had a connection with some RSO because it was hard to find the RSO from from her guy because he was going through some legal hassles up north at his ranch. So um, I had met cousin Chris and uh, got her started on this RSO. We went to this clinic in Berkeley and I met the guy and they, they had it all there. And, you know, um, we had just done a fundraiser for a comedy show fundraiser with a bunch of comedians in Walnut Creek. So I used that money to purchase all this RSO. We got her on the treatments and she went through her radiation again, you know, and uh, it was like, I don't know, 15 treatments, 20 treatments, and you ring the bell and all the things they do for you. But the fact is, as we progressed through that summer heading into fall, she was getting skinnier and skinnier. Mm. And um, we found out uh, towards the end of uh, summer, beginning of fall, that this cancer had kind of spread. We did a CAT scan mm. and... Um, it was little, you know, when you look at a CAT scan, you could see these little spongy things in the, in the, the readout, the x-ray or whatever they call it. Um, and the, the doctor had, told, had said, this, these are, this is the cancer. We're going to concentrate over here by your neck. But I could see there was some by her throat and the esophagus and headed towards the heart and lungs. Mm. So I said, that's cancers. Yeah, we'll, we'll address those too. So um, I don't know the time just kept moving forward and she kept getting smaller to where um, it was uh, the radiation. She thought she felt better, but didn't. And so we got, um, we got into November and uh, there was a, she had lost a lot of weight and she was getting prepped to, um, to go through chemo now. And we didn't know if she was going to be able to survive the chemo, but she was determined and she had a great attitude you know, very positive. She wanted to live for her son, my nephew. And, uh, he was, uh, well, he just turned 13, but you know, he was, he was like 10 going on 11 and, you know, that was her will to live that she just wanted maybe another eight years, you know? Yeah. But, um, so what happened was, uh, the day after Thanksgiving, she was in the emergency room. Uh, she couldn't, uh, she was at a breathing treatment and she just couldn't breathe. So they call an ambulance. They took her to uh, Walnut Creek Kaiser and uh, we arranged to have oxygen for her. That was the day after Thanksgiving of 2019. And that was a Friday. She got the oxygen on Saturday. And um, by Monday, uh, she wasn't doing well at all. And that's when we took her to the, from the breathing treatment in Dublin to the ER in Walnut Creek. Mm -hmm. um, that was uh, the beginning of December and they admitted her to the hospital because uh, she needed oxygen, their oxygen, you know, that she depleted the five tanks they, they, they gave her. Mm -hmm. So um, I was with her that uh, 
through all this, uh, Tuesday, um, we had my brother, he lives in Southern California, him and his wife and the family, they came up, um, and they took over what I call it the duty. They came in the morning and my wife and I, we were at home. So when I went back Wednesday, you know, they had her, um, intubated. She was, it wasn't intubated yet. It was, uh, this pressurized breathing mask she had to wear. She hated it. And, um, uh, Thursday morning, uh, or excuse me, that Wednesday morning, we had a, uh, a meeting, uh, set with the doctor and, uh, they were going to try this, that, and the other. Um, but, uh, they decided to let's, let's talk tomorrow morning at, uh, 10 o'clock. So that was December 5th. And so, um, I was a wreck because, you know, I, I felt that, you know, we're losing her. Maybe she could survive till Christmas. But um, by then they had her intubated and uh, pretty much, you know, they keep you out because it's a lot more comfortable mm-hmm. that way. Yeah. But um, so Thursday morning on the 5th, myself, my mother, my sister-in-law and my uh, brother, uh, we met with her cancer doctor there, um, or excuse me, the ICU doctor. And uh, my wife uh, was uh, taking care of her mom. Her mom's elderly. I said, I'll call you. You come later, you know, get your mom set up and then we'll meet at the hospital. So the doctor had explained to us that um, everything's shutting down on her. And we're running her at a, at a 10 on the oxygen, which is like the full power. But she's, you know, she's losing this battle. And uh, pretty soon her feet are going to turn dark and, her kidneys are going to shut down because they're not functioning, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it's going to be all bad. And so she's needing permission to, you know, uh, take her off the uh, life support machines that she's on. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it's, it's like I'm sitting there next to the doctor. I look at my my brother. He's he's very upset, obviously. You know, him and my sister were really, really close because they're closer in age. Mm-hmm. I was... Uh, about 15 years older than Missy. I'm nine years older than my brother. So uh, my sister-in-law, she's a wreck. My mom is doing the mom thing. Like, you know, can we just keep her on the machines? And uh, I said, well, you know, um, we, you know, the doctor explained that we, it's a mute thing to keep her on. It's a moot point because she's just going to be, you know, it's just going to prolong her death. And then pretty soon the oxygen won't work on her. Yeah. So I gave the doctor the okay to do it i said well why don't we um uh we take her off the machines at 10 o'clock tonight i said i got to get the word out to people family and stuff that, you know to come visit her and uh we'll get everybody out of here by eight o'clock and it'll just be you know the family wants to be here but you know she my sister had so many friends and we have a lot of relatives and we had people driving up from san diego and so that was her last day, you know, mm-hmm. 10 o'clock mm-hmm. they came in. And, uh, by then my, uh, my, my wife was, 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 was with me. She showed up about, I don't know, about six o'clock. It was great to see her. You know, it was such a relief when I saw her and, uh, by 10 o'clock they come in and they take the tube out and everything. And so I just watched the machines with her, her nurse, who's a wonderful lady named Vida. And, uh, I just watched the numbers count backwards. And there was a few of us in there. There was uh, my, uh, I have an older stepbrother and my father and Missy's husband and then uh, two cousins and my wife and myself and, um, and the nurse. 
And uh, so everybody got a chance to say goodbye to her, you know, but it was her last moment. And so when it got down to zero, I looked at the nurse. I go, she's, uh, she's gone, right? And she's like, yes, yeah, she is. And the thing is, I felt such a relief because I know now she's, you know, they're not going to cut her feet off and they're not going to turn purple or anything. You know, she's, she's out of that pain. And it was, I looked at her and I realized, okay, that's just her body. You know, mm-hmm. um, she's in the afterlife now. And, um, and of course it's sad and everything. Um, but I was, it was kind of, I don't want to say surreal, but it was just a lot of stuff going on. You know, my kid's sister's gone, gone, you know, mm-hmm. but she's not suffering anymore. And I, and I remember, how skinny she was. Cause she was, you know, she was kind of shapely, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, you know, I remember how she looked and, and how, you know, she had that look you get when you get real sick and, and her pain is gone. And it was just, uh, uh, a lot of stuff going on. So we went to the, you know, um, ICU waiting room was full of family. You know, we, we had so many cousins there. Um, and, and her very close friends, everybody's crying, of course. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I looked at my wife. I said, well, you know, we had a, uh, my, my stepbrother, Bart, my older brother, Bart, as I call him, my older brother. We're stepbrothers, but we're like the same age, but he's got me by a few months. So I always say he's my older brother. <laughs> um, and, uh, and a couple, and my cousin, my wonderful cousin, uh, um, Abel, uh, they were staying here with us at the house. And I said, well, let's go back and, you know, cause they have to get on the road in the morning. And so, um, I went back home and, uh, made sure everybody had bedding and all that. And, uh, and the dog, Chelsea, she was so happy to have strangers in the house. She loved them. But, um, I went to bed and, uh, I woke up that morning, December 6th. And it's like, I'm waking up with a, with a day without my sister, you know? Mm-hmm. And the thing is how I view life, uh, my my relationship with God is really my relationship with God, and um, I I realized you know she she's with God now she's no longer here you know and uh, her suffering uh, is over yes she leaves her son my nephew but uh, now her husband um, he's got to step up and you know the boy will be fine um, and. Granted, not everybody feels that way at that moment, but, you know, we decided not to have a service right away because we were like 20 days away from, you know, the holidays and, you know, people have their kids and this and that. So, well, we'll just do it afterwards. And um, so January 12th, we had the uh, uh, the service. And um, the thing is, uh, as far as like uh, taking any step backwards or, you know, oh, I need a drink or whatever, that shit didn't enter my mind because that dude is dead. But what, what really just like really brought it home with me was my sister and I, and I think it just even made me stronger in my recovery was that uh, her close friends, I, I got to, I, she, they, they packed this church. First of all, it was like <laughs> Easter or Christmas. Those are all her friends. And there was people texting me. We're sitting up front. So I had no idea how many people were there. And mm-hmm. I was getting texts from people and like, damn, there's a whole lot of fucking people here. You know, <laughs> it, it was, it was standing room only. Right. And so, 
And this, this is true. Uh, then the, before the service, the priest, you know, because I put the whole thing together, the music and all that. They want somebody to plan it. Mm-hmm. So then the priest wanted to um, to meet me, to talk to me, not meet me, but he wanted to talk to me before the service. So I got to go back into the, the room where the, where the priests are. And it's just a little waiting room. It's a little kitchen area and a patio, you know. And he thanked me. And then he's like, um, he goes, I love this song selections and, you know, what the people are going to read. You know, I, I just, I didn't do anything up there. I just made it for uh, her cousin, Sally, who she's very close with, a couple of friends and her husband. Mm-hmm. They could do all the speak. And my, my younger brother, Jesus. Um, I, and so the priest, he peeked out. He's a little African guy named Father Luke. He looks out and he's like, oh, it looks like Christmas Eve. I go, right? <laughs> Standing room. I said, you should have took up collection. You guys would have scored today, right? <laughs> it was a Saturday afternoon service. Or you could have got a new Piani or something. Anyway, uh, so I went back. And um, the thing is, as I uh, got to know these friends, there were so many people that, that, that were there I'd never met before. She had this whole world of friends I didn't know about. She had been like counseling and ministering her friends. She was like their son, and they were the planets around her. You know, that, that was Missy's world that I didn't know existed. Mm. And they all told me the same thing. They told me two things, and it was all the same, and it just blew me away. One, how much she helped them through their problems. I was going through a divorce. I tried to kill myself. I did, you know, all these things that her, her friends came to her, male and female. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, and she, she helped them with it. It was her spirit that she, she gave these friends. Um, and then the other thing was, I heard this from a lot of her close girlfriends. They said, you know, Missy was really proud of you. She considered you her hero. You would tell us how proud you were of all the things you're doing. You know, it, it could be shows. It could be my life. She goes that she really felt that you were her hero because you know, once upon a time, you were her zero. And <laughs> it, in this time of my recovery, she just sat back and watched it, you know, mm-hmm. because just because I finished the program didn't mean shit. What are you going to do after? And she saw what I did after. And she would literally tell people, dang, Mario's hella serious about this shit, right? <laughs> and... <laughs> As I kept going forward, there's another year, there's another year, you know, and then how I handled things when they needed to be handled. And, you know, I, I, and when Jerry's in my life, I mean, it was, you know, we're, we're, we're unstoppable when we have to take care of things, but that in itself, when I heard that made, um, I always felt my recovery was strong, but it sure made it a hell of a lot stronger than I could imagine. Mm-hmm. And, um, it made me feel, uh, um, even closer to her, uh, closer to God, you know, I never questioned why she had to die. That happens, you know, Mm -hmm. I prayed like a motherfucker that she'd live, but the prayers weren't answered. And I look at how her son is now. He's, he's thriving. He misses his mom, you know, Mm -hmm. and Greg, my brother-in-law, of course they miss her, but they're, 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 they're really living a good life in, in her honor, so to speak. You know, mm-hmm. kid, he's 13. He's on the honor roll. He had to endure the stupid online classes last year. Didn't <laughs> stop him. He's doing, he, I just found out he's doing music now, you know. Um, so, you know, it, it, I, I feel that I, you know, I miss her every day. I really do. But I also feel I have a guardian angel up there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she's no longer hurting. I had, uh, 
sometime last year, I'd had a dream about her. Um, and we didn't talk or anything. She just was like, you know, waving to me and she like went into this like doorway, like it was outside, like a bright day. And she was like waving goodbye, like, bye, you know, and I was trying to, you know, tell her to stop because I wanted to know, do you forgive me for, you know, giving the doctor the okay, you know? Mm. And, um, she just smiled and, 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 uh, one of her friends and my wife said, Oh man, she loves you for that. You set her free, you know? Mm. And I, I, I had been carrying that for a little bit, but it's true. It's like, you know, it's like, I wasn't playing God or anything, man. It was, it had to be done. All I had to do was just give the okay. It's not, you know, it's nothing like that. They just, the doctors just needed somebody to say, okay. And, and, uh, they have their thing to do and we got our thing to do and losing my sister to cancer made me feel part of when I, when I see other people who lose someone to cancer, I realize I'm not alone with this, you know, mm-hmm. all these feelings I have about missing her and all that as, as other people have gone through that too, or are going through that or will go through that. And that kind of makes us connected somehow you can call it a fraternity or, or, or even a family or, mm-hmm. or something, but we have that in common. I'm not the only one in this world missing his kid sister due to cancer, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, that gives me comfort and that gives me strength. Wow. Everything else is everything mm-hmm. else, you know, everything else, the pandemic, I only wish my sister was here because we would have always we always text each other and called each other and all the craziness that went on with the election and the pandemic, you know, she she just found that exciting, you know, <laughs> it's crazy. You see what these crazy motherfuckers are doing, you know, and I, I, I miss her that I wish she would have been around for that. Oh. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it uh, the, the thing is, too, is I had. 2020 locked up, man. I had momentum through New Year's Eve with shows and stuff. I had stuff booked. I had this huge show for November uh, 2020 with the veterans and this whole organization. And I was reaching out to have a golf tournament and we were building it and boom, shit got shut down in March. Right. And I didn't realize that was the break I needed to work on my own emotional state and mourn my sister. And, uh, mourn with my wife that we really miss her and we love her dearly. And the pandemic was kind of a weird blessing in disguise, if you will. Mm-hmm. Granted, my brother, he had caught COVID and uh, he's doing you know better now, but you know, he caught it and it was pretty scary for a minute. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, it's like, here we are 21, you know, it's almost over. Today's my 56th birthday, right? <laughs> Wednesday will be, 10 years and 10 months. And I'll put me two months away from 11 years, you know, mm-hmm. and who knows what the, well, I would like to end on this. What's next. Yeah. What's, what's next, next for next you? Is, Second chance. What's, what's next? next? What's next for me is I decided to write about what happened in that fourth step mm. where I turned it around. And how I met my cousin, Chris, and 
how she brought us together. There was a, there was a lot of stuff behind that, but it was how that first name on my fourth step changed my life. So I could be there for her when she needed me, which was the year she passed. And I remember she always would tell my wife and I, God, when you know, we come pick her up for her appointments and stuff. You guys are the highlight of my day. And uh, I know she was going through it, obviously, because the can she had the cancer. She was taking the treatments, but she loved uh, uh, seeing us. We pick her up afterwards. We take her for a jamba, get her home, you know. And that moment in time when I decided to put all the bullshit behind me for once and for all, be honest with myself, and get my life in order, if you will. But it was that honesty, that moment on that fourth step, I was supposed to do that so I could be there for her when she needed me and I could live my life on being the testimony that I am, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, this is, this is, you know, I'm no better than anybody else. I just, you know, um, uh, got a second chance. And the thing is, I hold on to that second chance. I embrace that second chance. I am that second chance. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it doesn't matter all the things I lost and all the money I went through and all the material things. Those don't mean shit, you know? It's all about the people you love and the people who love you. And then everything else, shit, you can figure it out, you know? And um, sometimes these people that you love, they get taken from you. But uh, I have no regrets on these past almost, uh, it was about almost 10 years that I got to rebuild my relationship with my sister. And I'm glad I did. And I'm glad she got to witness it, you know? And, um, that's pretty much how I get through my life, you know, is second chance, but really it's, it's gratitude. I'm grateful for all that's happened Mm -hmm. and even how it's happened. Happy birthday to me. <laughs> yeah, happy birthday, Mario. Uh, before we wrap up this episode, mm-hmm. what's what um, experience, strength, and hope that you can provide to those that are seeking recovery, but but they're in the position where, like, you know, their family isn't talking to them? And like, what what would you say to them to help them get through um, this? Well, you know, I've always, you know, been that I've always believed in uh, it's never too late to do something that you want to do. And it's not over till you're dead. Now, as far as other people's feelings, you know, um, they don't want to deal with you and you're trying to stay in recovery or get to recovery or or anything like that. Look, man, it's got to start with you. Okay. Um, The biggest thing that I find that you can win people over is time in. You know, and um, I mean, there's all the sayings, you know, flip the script or whatever, you know, do the opposite of what you've been doing. But really, it, it's time in recovery. You get your, your start date and you just don't don't worry about accumulating, a, you know, a week, a month, a year. Just worry about that day and try to, uh, you know, do the best you can for that day. And yes, you're going to fail. I fail every day. That's part of it. You know, um getting people back on your, on your team, so to speak, getting people <laughs> back into their lives and your yeah, life. Yeah. That, that's good. Time, time is the 
is the biggest thing. Proof is in the pudding with time. And change. Don't do the shit you used to do. You know? Change your heart. Allow it to change. You just can't say, okay, my heart's going to change. Allow it to change. And always be honest with yourself, man. Be honest with you. You can bullshit everybody in the world. I did. But, you know, at the end of the day, you really can't bullshit yourself. You can just decide to do the wrong thing or whatever. But be honest with yourself in your heart. And then let that grow. You know, start with yourself and be as good to yourself as you could possibly be. But let that grow out. And the next thing you know, you're going to start being good to other people. Mm-hmm. And over time, you just might be well-liked. <laughs> most importantly, you got to like yourself. you got to love yourself. And forgive yourself. You know? Mm-hmm. You forgive yourself. And uh, just, you know, go forth and sin no more, as they say. Don't go back and do that shit. Keep moving forward. But it only, you know, and the, I mean, the other thing, one of the most valuable lessons I learned from my wife is the only control we have in our life is how we react to things. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the only control we have. And, and, that's a, and that's a hard one to learn, but it's true. Some things are just out of your control. And if something happens, how are you going to react to it? You know, mm-hmm. it could be anything. Are you going to throw a shit fit? Are you going to give up? Just going to accept it and move forward with it. You know, I did that with my sister's death. I could have reacted to it wrong. Mm-hmm. Wrong for me. Wrong for me. But I could have re- I could have went and drank and there would be people who would sympathize with me. But that's not good for me. I'm the one that has to live in this skin. You know, I'm the one that has to uh, breathe, make, you know, with my lungs, my heart, my eyes. This is me. You know, I don't want to lose those things. So I reacted to the way I reacted. I accepted it. Mm-hmm. We say, fuck cancer. Well, sometimes cancer fucks you, you know. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe something will eradicate it. You know, <laughs> cancer won this one. You know, but but um, you can't do shit about yesterday, and tomorrow isn't here. So all we have is right now. So just you know, just don't give up, and do the best you can, and don't beat yourself up because you fail mm-hmm. again. You know, I used to be. I still can be really hard on myself. But there's areas in my life where I'm not anymore. Like, no, we just got to get better. That's all. No. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Mario, thank for you. coming onto the podcast and, and sharing your, your story, your recovery story, and like um, living, living life in recovery in your second chance. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. Yeah. Where can people find you? You know, you just put in, um, you go to Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, comedian Mario the Butcher. Mario the Butcher. All right. And we will definitely have that information in the show notes. So you could find Mario at the next time he'll be performing or just follow him. See what's up with his life on YouTube and whatnot. That's it. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate that. 
Yeah, and people, Ron, if you, it was great talking to you. Yeah, if people love this podcast and or this episode, give it a rating, five stars. I am on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, wherever you get your podcasts. If anyone wants a personal video message from me, get me on Cameo. Search Veronica Porras for that. And for other social media uh, stuff, get me on my website, vcomedy.com, and all that information is on the show notes. I am building a Patreon page. So uh, Mario and I had a a pre-chat conversation. That conversation is in the Patreon page. So if you want to subscribe, get some special content, porous podcast, under budget, Patreon special content that's where that will be and again all the links are in the show notes thank you everyone for listening thank you mario for being on the podcast thank you for having me always a pleasure and um i hope to run into you in person someday yeah all right thanks everyone till next time be safe thank you everybody